Good morning, church. Kevin's not able to be here this morning, so you are stuck with me in the pulpit. A couple of announcements as we get going. Uh, We had our first Sunday school uh, for the fall this morning, and it was wonderful. Had all kinds of folks there, and it it was a joy. So if you didn't come this week, come next week. We'd love to see you, and uh, we've got classes for all ages there. Uh, just a couple of brief reminders in terms of groups and studies that are ongoing that you're all invited to if you want to be a part of. Um, we've got a couple of Wednesday night groups going on. We have a, a men's group that's been going on for a while on Wednesday nights. Um, we hold that up at the Parsonage. That's at 7 p.m. And so men, you are invited that's an open invitation if you want to be a part of that. Um, and then there is a ladies group starting. So I don't know if, Don, if you wanted to say anything about that or? October 5th, it's a new Bible study uh, in the book of Philippians. And uh, we have room for more. So it starts at 5. We're going to try to keep it a little shorter this year because there are people that need to get home and get to bed. It's been running to like. And there's, there's information for that in the bulletin. What's that? Okay, I see. <laughs> uh, there's also a study that we do on Thursday mornings at 10 a.m. And if you don't have uh, weekday commitments, that's up at the Parsonage, and we're going through a study of church history. And that's been really interesting as we've been working through that. Uh, And just a reminder, we have a members meeting at 7 p.m. on Thursday, September 22nd. So that's our fall business meeting. Um, So put that on your calendar if you're a a church member. And if you're not a church member and you're interested in church membership, talk to me, talk to one of the deacons. We'd love to explain what that's all about. Okay, I think Jane had an announcement as well. So that's a, that's a fundraising banquet for Zoe Women's Center down in, uh, in Rockport. Um, and so that's, okay, it's going to be at the Elks Lodge in Rockland. So if you're interested in attending that, feel free to talk to Donna or Jane. Great. Okay, food pantry is Saturday morning, so just a reminder of that as well. Right, yeah, so Brian Benner's service is on Saturday. It's a grave, graveside service in Augusta. Um, so if anyone's interested in attending that, we can give you the details for that as well. Um, I'd like to begin the service this morning with a reading from Psalm 51. You can pray for me. I've been gradually losing my voice this weekend. So Psalm 51. 
Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and are justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to you this morning, we want to confess our sins to you. To confess that we fall far short of your glory and to plead your mercy. To plead the blood of Christ. To ask, Lord, would you forgive us? Would you wash us clean because of what Jesus has done? And we come boldly knowing that you do so for those who come to you in faith, that all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We pray, Lord, as we look to your word, as we sing your praises, as we come to you in prayer, that you would meet us here, that you would speak to us in your word, that you would open our hearts and our minds to understand and to obey your word. You'd open up our hearts to praise you with earnestness and truth. We pray, Lord, that you'd meet us as we come to you in prayer, that you would be at work among your people. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can open up your blue hymnal that's in front of you, and we'll begin the service by singing number 56, To God Be the Glory. verses. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. 
praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son, and give him the glory, great things he hath done. Oh, perfect redemption, the purchase of blood to every of God, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. To the Father, through Jesus the Son, and give him the glory, great things he hath done. Great things he hath taught us, great things he hath done, and great our rejoicing through Jesus the Son, but purer and higher and greater will be our wonder, our transport, when Jesus we see. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son, and give him the glory, great things he hath done. Amen. You may be seated. At this time, I'll ask the ushers to come forward to take the offering. Just as a reminder, this is a chance for those who are regularly involved in our church to be able to give. If you're a visitor here, please feel no obligation to give. Father, we thank you for every good thing that you've given us. 
We know everything we have is from you, from you, the Father above. We ask, Lord, that you'd bless, continue to bless the work of this church, that you'd bless these gifts, that your name would be glorified in Liberty, Maine, and across the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. You can remain standing. You can open the green book in front of you to number three, and we'll sing together, Yet Not I. What gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom. My steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I hold. My hope is only Jesus, for my life is wholly bound to His. Oh, how strange and divine, I can sing, all is mine, yet not I, but through Christ in me. The night is dark. The Savior, He will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoicing, for in my need His power is displayed. To this I hold, my shepherd will defend me through the deepest valley. He I know I am forgiven The future sure The price it has been paid For Jesus bled And suffered for my pardon And he was raised To overthrow the grave To this I hold My sin has been Not I. 
take some time now to pray. Our God and our Father, it's the words of Psalm 92, it is good to give you thanks to sing praise to your name, O Most High. And so we're here this morning to declare your steadfast love, to declare your faithfulness. Father, you have made us glad by your work. At the works of your hands, we sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord. Your thoughts are beyond our comprehension. You, O Lord, are on high forever. Your throne is established from of old, and you are from everlasting. You're beyond us, Lord. We can't, we can't even comprehend your greatness and your majesty and your glory. And if we were to see a vision even of your throne room, we know that we would be undone. And as we come to you and, and remember your glory and your holiness, we're made aware that we are but dust that we are sons of Adam and daughters of Eve, that we are sinners. And we confess, Father, even this week in our hearts and our minds that we've sinned and done wrong. Consciously and unconsciously, we've, we've turned aside from you and from your commandments and from your rules. We've rebelled against you. We confess, Father, that we haven't loved our neighbor as we ought to, that we haven't loved you, Father, with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so as we come to you this morning, we ask that you would have mercy on us, that according to your mercy that you would blot out our transgressions, wash us thoroughly from our iniquity, and cleanse us from our sin. Let's take a moment to silently confess our sins to God. the words of Psalm 103, we praise you, Father, that you do not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is your steadfast love towards those who fear you. As far as the east is from the west, so far do you remove our transgressions from us in Jesus Christ. 
We thank you, Father, for the compassion that you've shown to us in Jesus and the confidence that we have that if we've come to you in Jesus' name and confessed our sins, you've washed us white as snow. We thank you for your marvelous grace, Father. We thank you for the love of Jesus. We thank you for the cross. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's pray together as Jesus taught us to pray on the back of your bulletin. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. If you'd stand together and open your green book in front of you to Psalm 63. That'll be towards the back of the book, Psalm 63, and we'll sing that together.
You can open your Bibles with me this morning to Genesis chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16, which is where we pick up our series through the book of Genesis. We've been working specifically through the life of Abram. There's a common thread, I think, through most of our hearts. For many of us, at various times, are legalists, basically. Meaning, in our hearts, as we try to approach God, we attempt, we try, to obtain God's blessings, to obtain God's promises, by human effort to obtain God's blessings by human effort by our trying to measure up basically and this looks like a lot of different things um, some of us can try and measure up by human effort and think we've done it we spend our whole lives thinking we're doing the right thing and maybe checking some religious boxes and, and thinking the whole way I really measure up don't I God must really think I'm swell. There's another kind of legalism that actually realizes you don't measure up, though. And this, too, is legalism. Actually going through your whole life trying desperately to measure up, doing everything you can, trying to check the religious boxes, maybe. Trying desperately, maybe struggling with sin on an ongoing basis and having a little spurt of victory and then falling, and then victory and then falling, and just a downward spiral of discouragement, like, I don't think I'll ever measure up. I don't think I can ever get God to like me if I'm trying to obtain God's blessings by human effort. And there's another kind of legalism where you've never actually even tried to measure up because you know your life's a real mess. And you've just contented yourself to live in the mess. It's like, well, I can't ever mess, measure up. I'll never be able to. And that's actually true. You won't ever be able to measure up. You won't ever be able to measure up sitting in the pit. You won't ever be able to measure up trying real hard your whole life. And you'll never be able to measure up even if you think you have. The fact is... The promised blessings of God cannot be obtained by human effort. The ble promised blessings of God cannot be obtained by human effort. That's our big idea this morning. And we're going to see that truth played out in the life of Abram. And specifically, in an incident with his wife, Sarai, and her servant, Hagar. You remember, the whole reason we're spending so much time with Abram is that God had made him great promises. These great promises. 
go out from the land of your homeland and go to the land I'm going to show you and I'm going to give you this land and I'm going to give you so many descendants. I'm going to make of you a great nation. You're going to have as many kids as the stars in the heavens and I'm going to bless you and through you all the nations of the world shall be blessed. Right? It's a great promise to Abram and to his wife and to his family. And here we are 10 or so years in. Abram still hasn't seen a kid. And basically what we're going to see in this passage is Abram and Sarai try to obtain the blessings of God by human effort. In their ability, in the power of the flesh, they're going to try to get what God has, had promised them apart from the power of God. And what's going to become very obvious is that the promised blessings of God cannot be obtained by human effort. It's just not possible. And by the end of the passage, in an interesting and kind of roundabout way, we're going to see that actually we're entirely dependent on the grace of God. Entirely dependent on the grace of God if we're going to be blessed by Him. Let's read the passage together and then we'll pray. Genesis 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly, I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Be'er Lahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son. 
And Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Let's pray. Father, we come to your word expectantly, knowing that your, your word is alive with your spirit, that these words are not merely the words of men, but the words of God, breathed out by your Holy Spirit and brimming with power. And we pray, Father, as we come to them, that you would use the power of these words in our own lives and speak to us, that more and more we would rely upon your grace, that we would toss aside our efforts to earn your blessing by our work, and that we would learn to trust you totally, Lord Jesus. And we pray this in your precious name. Amen. The promised blessings of God cannot be obtained by human effort. And at least the first half of this passage is just sort of a, a, a tragedy, almost a, a comedy of errors, where we see this truth played out, where people are trying to obtain the blessings of God by human effort, and it just doesn't work. It can't work. So verse 1 Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She's getting up there in years now. This is, this is a woman who was barren in her childbearing years and is now past childbearing years. And it's just her and Abram. Abram's not getting any younger. And yet they have this promise from God where God has said, I'm going to give you children. I'm going to make of you a great nation. And we're also told, and this is sort of a foreshadowing, she had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And you can maybe already see where this is going just from verse 1. Sarai hatches a plan. I see a way around this, maybe. Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Now it's interesting, she has an inkling into the truth here and into the power of God. She understands that God is sovereign over these things. She understands that, indeed, the Lord had kept her from having children all these years. This is something we see throughout the Old Testament, that the Lord has, well, he's sovereign over all things, but he's, specifically, we see multiple instances where the Lord is sovereign over the opening and the closing of the womb. Sarai acknowledges this, but implicit in the statement, she assumes God is actually never going to bless her with children. What she should have said is something like this. Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, but I know he has power over these things, and he's given me great promises. He's given us great promises, so I trust he can give me a child. That's not what she says. She says, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. I think the implied statement underneath there is, and he's never going to. He's never going to. She's not trusting the promises of God. And so she comes up with her own way to get what God had promised. I'm not sure God will ever actually give us what he's promised, but listen, I think there's a way around it. I think we can get it on our own. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. Hagar apparently was 
of childbearing years. So Sarai says, look, here's my servant. You could take her as your wife and obtain children through her. And so we're told that Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. And after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. So they get everything they wanted, right? Well, Hagar does conceive a child. But right from the outset, it becomes very clear this is not what God had promised. Sarai had an idea of what she thought they could obtain just by their own power, apart from the miraculous power of God to give life to her womb. But very quickly, this becomes disastrous. What are the fruits of this human effort in Genesis 16? First of all, a son, a son of the flesh. He went into Hagar and she conceived. This is a baby. That's what they wanted, right? A baby. It turns out he's a son. Right? A son for Abram. But already, this doesn't seem like quite what had been promised, right? Because God hadn't merely promised an ordinary child. He'd promised a miraculous child. He'd promised a child to people who were nearing 100. God was promising not just a child, but a show of his glorious power and ability to bring life from what is almost dead. And instead of a, of a miracle that displays the glory of God, we have a baby. Not a child of the promise, a child of the flesh, a child of human effort. Things go sour there quickly from there. Verse 4, he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. We're not told a lot about Hagar. We're told that she was an Egyptian. So probably this is a servant that Abram and Sarai hired when they were down in Egypt. It may be that... Um, that Sarai actually met Hagar when she was living in the Pharaoh's palace as a part of his harem. It, it may very well be that this is, a, this is a palace servant. We don't know. I think we can assume that Hagar was probably Sarai's closest servant, maybe even her dearest friend. Who would Sarai trust to have Abram take as a wife. Apparently she was so close to her that she's anticipating, she says, go into my servant, it may be that I shall obtain children by her. Sarai figures, wrongly, that she can kind of count Hagar's children as her own children. And yet very quickly this sours Hagar looked with contempt on her mistress. Abram now has two wives, one who's old and barren 
and one who's young and bearing children. Hagar sees where she falls in the hierarchy now. She's not the servant any longer. She's the prize. And she looks with contempt on Sarai. So the first thing that's lost is actually Sarai's friendship with Hagar. She goes from being a loyal servant now to a contemptuous one. Then what happens to Sarai? Verse 5, Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you, speaking to Abram. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. Now Sarai's angry. She's bitter. She's seen the fruit of her plan, and she sees it's rotten. She's angry at Abram. She's angry at Hagar. Everything seems to be falling apart. So we've got a son of the flesh, a contemptuous servant, an angry wife. On top of all that, we've got a passive husband. A passive husband. Notice in verse 2, we're told that Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. This is a Hebrew phrase that's used only once, only one other time in the Old Testament, and it's in Genesis 3 where God scolds Adam for listening to the voice of his wife, Eve, when Eve passed on the temptation to Adam. Implied here just in the language of the passage is this is, this is Abram doing the Adam thing all over again, right? being tempted with disobedience and just swallowing it whole. Ab Abram should have caught this right here and said, no, 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 no. We're doing this God's way. He's promised. He's able to deliver. Sarai, it's you and me, baby. It's not what he says. He listens to the voice of Sarai, which he not, ought not to have done. And then later, when Sarai's angry and yelling and throwing things, what does Abram do? Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Not my problem. Are you kidding me? Hagar's your wife, and she's bearing your son. She's your problem now, Abram. But he says, Nah, she's your servant. You can do whatever you want to. So what's, what's the fruit of this plan? It's a family gone to rot. A son of the flesh, a sort of, a joy, this is a baby, but mixed with unfaithfulness, a contemptuous servant, an angry wife, a passive husband, and then, on top of it all, what does Sarai do? Sarai deals harshly with Hagar, and Hagar runs away. Hagar flees into the wilderness. And so now, not only is the servant contemptuous, the servant is lost, Hagar is gone, and so's the baby. So what are Abram and Sarai left with? Nothing but bitterness and pain, and less than what they started with. And this, I think, is supposed to be an object lesson to us of, of what happens when we go outside the will of God for how he's seeking to bless us. And what happens when we don't trust God actually to provide what he's given to us and instead try and do it with our own strength. This is what happens when we try to obtain the blessings of God by human effort. 
Everything falls apart and everything turns to rot. We end up like Hagar running in the wilderness, pregnant and alone. Abram and Sarai aren't in a great place, but Hagar's in an even worse place. She's on the run, she's alone, she's vulnerable, she's pregnant. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. Based on the geography of where Shur is, it seems like Hagar is headed back to Egypt, which is a long trek to do alone, walking through the wilderness. So she's alone, headed back to Egypt, headed back to her homeland. Where else is she going to go? And there the angel of the Lord finds her. Now this is incredible. Up till now, God has been mentioned only once, and that's by Sarai in basically doubting his goodness and his ability to carry out his promises. No one's prayed so far. No one's sought God's power or his help. And so God hasn't provided any power or help yet. And yet here in the wilderness, Here's Hagar, and this is where God goes. The angel of the Lord meets Hagar, and he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? This is one of those questions God asks that he already knows the answer to. <laughs> where have you come from? Where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. The first thing that the angel of the Lord does is to attempt to remedy this situation. Sarai and Abram have sinned against Hagar. First in requiring her to be Abram's wife and then in treating her the way they've done. And the Lord comes to Hagar and says, you need to go back. You need to go back. She's Abram's husband. The boy is Abram's son. Abram has a responsibility here. Abram's abdicated it, but the Lord's bringing her back. Return to your mistress. Submit to her. And then he gives her this amazing promise. Now we're going to see as we move through the next couple of chapters that God does grant Abram and Sarai the child he'd promised them. A boy for Abram and Sarai, even in their old age, miraculously, life from the dead in Isaac. And he's the recipient of the promise. He's the line of promise. Ishmael is not. Okay. He doesn't receive the, the promises that were given to Abram. He's not the line of promise. And yet God is gracious to him. God comes to Hagar, and verse 10, the angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. I'm going to make you a great nation, Hagar. 
I'm going to make of Ishmael a great nation. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant, you shall bear a son, you shall call his name Ishmael. Ishmael means God hears. God hears because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly I have seen him who looks after, who has seen me. Therefore the well was called Be'er Lahai Ro'oi, that means the well of the living one who sees me. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. So out here in the wilderness, suffering the fruits of trying to get the promises of God by human effort, out in the desert, out in the wilderness, Hagar comes to a spring. The Lord meets her at a spring and offers her hope, grace, life. I'm going to multiply your children. I've seen you. I've heard you. You haven't been forgotten, Hagar. I'm going to watch over you. It speaks to the mercy of God. And it speaks to the mercy of God, not just to Hagar, but also to us. Because haven't we all, at one point or another, found ourselves in the wilderness, suffering the fruits of our stupid choices, trying to seek blessing apart from God's promises, trying to earn ourselves into God's good graces by our own works, trying to make it through life apart from obedience to God's word, trying to do it on our own, and we find ourselves in a pit out in the wilderness, thirsty and alone. And it's there that God meets us, not because we have anything to offer him, but because God is gracious to people who are in need. Because God sees and because God hears. And isn't that just what God did with us when he showed us Jesus? In the wilderness, dead in our sin, without hope. And God saw and he heard. And he showed us Jesus. And he showed us grace that we don't deserve. And I want you to see this morning that if that's where you are, out in the wilderness, and you feel like no one hears and no one sees, God hears, God sees. Verse 15, Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael, God hears. God hears. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. So God brings Hagar and Ishmael back into the camp. He doesn't want Sarai and Abram just to forget them. 
they're living emblems to Abram and Sarai. First of all, you know what happens when you try and go out and do this on your own. It doesn't work. Also, in Ishmael's name, right, he's an emblem of God's mercy. God hears. God hears. Thousands of years later, the Apostle Paul was hearing disturbing news from a church in Galatia. And in this church in Galatia, after having believed the gospel of Jesus, after having believed that they could be saved from their sins by faith in Christ and faith apart from anything else, just faith in Jesus, saved, justified, made new, brought to life in Christ, The Apostle Paul heard rumors from this church in Galatia that there was teachers who were coming there and teaching them, you've actually got to add something to that. Not just faith in Christ. You also need to go back and obey the law. You need to circumcise your children. You need to obey the Mosaic law or else you can't really be a Christian and you can't really be saved. This is what the book of Galatians is all about. It's Paul confronting this. And basically his point is, guys, you're trying to get the blessings of God by human effort, and you can't. You can't earn your way into heaven. You can't buy your way to justification. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's all of grace. And in Galatians 4, the only place in the New Testament where Hagar is mentioned, the Apostle Paul brings out Hagar. Galatians 4.22, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman, this is Hagar, and one by a free woman, this is Sarai. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. There's a lot going on there. Paul's talking on like a thousand levels at once. But the point is, he's, he's saying, basically, there's, there's two kinds of ways to approach God. And you can seek the blessings of God like Hagar, or you can seek the blessings of God like Sarai, eventually. Basically, you can be a, a child of the slave woman. You can try and seek the blessings of God in the flesh and end up a slave to the law, because you can't do it. You can't earn your way into God's blessings. You end up a slave. He says, or you can seek the blessings of God. You can seek justification by faith in Jesus Christ alone, apart from works, 
and be free. The promised blessings of God cannot be obtained by human effort. There's a lot of other lessons from this passage. and We don't have time to unpack them all. We've looked at some of them already. There's lessons here for husbands in terms of leading in their families and being willing to say no, being willing to stand on the word of God and the promises of God, to be leaders in their homes. There's lessons here in terms of what God's design is for marriage. A lot of the, the root of what a lot of going, a lot of what's going on here is that the fundamental design of marriage of one man and one woman is being distorted in this passage. Hagar's, I mean, Sarai's plan involves bringing in a second woman. It hasn't been explicitly forbidden by God yet in the Old Testament, but every time we see polygamy in the Old Testament, it's always a mess. Every single time, and this is no exception. God's design in the beginning one man and two women? No. One man, one woman. This is God's design for marriage. This is God's design for the household. There's all sorts of other applications we could pull out of this, but the central one that the Apostle Paul wants us to see here, I think what jumps right off the page, is that the promised blessings of God cannot be obtained by human effort. If we're playing the legalism game and trying to get it all together, to earn our way into God's blessings. It won't happen. It can't happen. Give it up. Because God's blessings come like the promises to Hagar in the desert. Unearned grace to hopeless people. Because that's what we all are apart from Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We confess to you that the times and the ways that we've tried to hold things together in our own power, the times we've tried to hold things together by the flesh, we know that ultimately that's fruitless. Help us to see that clearly. And help us, Lord, with boldness simply to fall back into your arms to understand how fully every blessing that you will ever give us is is from grace and show us to the magnitude and the wonder of your love that you are not stingy with your grace but that you freely bestow it on all who would come to you in Jesus name you are lavish to us in your grace towards us through Jesus we pray Lord that we would make a make our home in that grace and the mercy you've shown to us. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. As we close, let's stand together. You can open the blue hymnal in front of you to number 680. All the way my Savior leads me.
All the way my Savior leads me What have I to ask beside? Can I doubt His tender mercy Who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divinest comfort Here by faith in Him to dwell For I know Whate'er befall me, Jesus doeth all things well. For I know, whate'er befall me, Jesus doeth all things well. All the way my Savior leads me, cheers each winding path I tread, gives me grace for every trial feeds me with the living bread. Though my weary steps may falter, and my soul a thirst may be, gushing from the rock before me, lo, a spring of joy I see. Gushing from the rock before me, lo, a spring of joy I see. All the way my Savior leads me Of His love, perfect rest To me is promised In my Father's house above When my spirit, clothed immortal Wings its flight to realms of day This my song through endless ages, Jesus led me all the way. This my song, through endless ages, Jesus led me all the way. As you go from here, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you, the God who sees and give you peace. Amen.